Um, good morning. It's so good to be here this morning. Your guys look amazing in your sweaters this morning. I love it. Um, I had another sweater picked out that I was thinking about wearing, and it's my Rudolph throwing up Christmas sweater. But then I thought maybe up here that might be a little bit distracting. So maybe I'll sport that one tonight. But I love seeing all the different sweaters this morning. It's just awesome. And I am so excited to continue our series this morning. Um, hasn't this been such a great series? It's been so good. Um, Brayden kicked us off and um, shared about the shepherds and the song, Oh, Come All Ye Faithful. And then Pastor Jesse, we talked about Joseph. And then Come, Lou, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus was the hymn for that one. And last week, Pete brought a great message about the wise men and the song, What Child Is This? And if you've missed any of those, you can go to our website. I would strongly encourage you to check them out because they were really, really just great messages. And it's a privilege for me to be able to share with you our next message in the series. And you might have some idea who that would be about from our skit this morning. Um, we're going to be focusing on two really amazing women in the Christmas story this morning. A Mary and her cousin, Elizabeth. And the song this week is, do you guys have a guess? Joy to the world. That's right. Um, and perhaps not so coincidentally, this is the third Sunday of Advent, which is the Sunday of joy. Joy to the world is one of my favorite carols. Um, I think I can remember singing that as long as I can remember. And singing carols is one of my favorite parts of this time of year. I just love it. But one of my very favorite things is listening to kids' choirs. Right? Kids' choirs are the best, and I think because they are so unpredictable. Right? Those kids are going to do what they're going to do, no matter how much you practice with them. And many years ago, um, I taught in a preschool, and we did a full-on Christmas pageant with our three-, four-, and five-year-olds. And I can bet you imagine the controlled chaos that that was, maybe not so controlled chaos. Um, and it was amazing. And these kids were hilarious. They were hilarious. So we had a little guy that was our donkey. And we practiced, you know, what does the donkey say? Hee-haw, hee-haw, right? And he was supposed to come up the center aisle going hee-haw. Well, he made an artistic choice the day of the uh, the pageant and came up the middle aisle going hee honk hee honk some sort of goose donkey hybrid um so that was really entertaining and then we had a little girl and she was supposed to be a sheep and she had this lovely adorable cute sheep costume on and right before we're supposed to go on she was this close to meltdown because she wanted to be an angel so we found a halo and some wings, and we stuck them on her, and she was a sheep angel. And it worked, right? It worked. Um, and we avoided total meltdown. And we had all the kids singing, We Wish You a Merry Christmas. And, of course, we had practiced and practiced and practiced. But there was one line that these kids refused to sing the correct way. And so there's the line in the song, you know, Good tidings to you and all of your kin. Well, when they got up on the platform, the kids had to sing it, good tidings to you and all of your kids. That, that's just how it was going to be, and that's how it was. But it was hilarious and so much fun, and our last song was Joy to the World, and they just belted that out, and they just had pure joy as they were singing that song. And as we look at the song Joy to the World, I think we can surmise that the focus of this song is on being joyful, 
right? Joy to the world. The Lord has come. But in researching this song for the message, I learned something interesting about this carol. So Joy to the World was written by a gentleman named Isaac Watts, and he is known as one of the greatest hymn writers in history. But he never intended Joy to the World to be a song, and not even close to being a Christmas song. In 1719, Isaac Watts published a book of poems in which each poem was based on a psalm. And he wrote those poems to show how the psalms related to Jesus being revealed as the Savior of the world. So Joy to the World was a poem based on Psalm 98. And Watts' interpretation of this psalm was as a celebration of Jesus' role as King of the Church and of the world. And his intention in writing Joy to the World was to show the return of Christ not his birth. So let's take a look at Psalm 98. And it says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Now, do you hear the song, Joy to the World, in that psalm? It's, it's kind of tricky, right? You kind of have to dig for it. But this is kind of what I, how I heard it in Psalm 98. Where it says, make a joyful noise, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Joy to the world. For he comes to judge the earth. The Lord has come. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. Let earth receive her king. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. Let heaven and nature sing. Pretty amazing. But more than a century after Watts had written this poem, a Boston music teacher named Lowell Mason discovered it and set it to music. And because it was released at Christmas time, it quickly became a holiday favorite that went on to become the most published Christmas carol in all of America. Isaac Watts never knew that the poem that he wrote about the second coming of Christ would become the most popular Christmas carol ever written. And isn't that how things so often end up in life? We get ideas and thoughts of what things should look like, or how life is going to go, or even what our calling is going to walk out to be, but it is often never as we think it's going to be. And when things aren't turning out how we imagine, sometimes we can lose sight 
of the joy that a life in Christ has for us. Today I want to talk about finding joy and what it means to be a follower of Christ to truly have joy. And we're going to do that by taking a look at these two women that we saw in our skit this morning, Mary and Elizabeth. So we are going to be in the book of Luke this morning. So if you have your Bible or your cell phone or tablet, you want to open up to Luke 1. And we're going to be starting at verse 6. And so if you recall from Pastor Jesse's sermon a couple weeks ago, he mentioned that scholars believe that the story of Mary and Joseph in Matthew was written from the perspective of Joseph. And in Luke, it was written by the perspective of Mary. And Luke is the only book that talks about Elizabeth. And in verse 6, we read about her and her husband, Zechariah, and it describes them both as this. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive. They were both very old. So we learn that they were both righteous in God's eyes, and they were both old, well past childbearing years. And Elizabeth had never been able to conceive. Now, in ancient Middle Eastern society, the cultural value of family had really deep roots. Having children indicated blessings from God, and having children gave a better chance for the family to carry on the family name. So for Elizabeth, being unable to bear children would have been challenging for her in several ways. She was carrying not only the pain and grief of not being able to conceive, but a social stigma as well. So as a woman unable to conceive, she would have been considered low in social status, someone that the community would look down upon. Many probably believe she was cursed by God, as that culture often did with people who had illnesses or physical issues. She would have been considered a disgrace. It was even justifiable cause for divorce in that culture. So can you imagine what life must have been like for Elizabeth? The looks that she got when she walked into town. The whispers behind her back at the synagogue. The conversations that would suddenly stop as she passed by. She lived under the cloud of being considered unworthy and a disgrace. And the Holy Spirit was really speaking to me as I was studying this and contemplating what Elizabeth must have been walking through about what it means as a follower of Jesus to show grace and mercy and kindness to others that has been so undeservedly but abundantly given to us. And I was thinking about how in my own life, very unlike Elizabeth, I was living a life outside of God's will. And I became pregnant at 17. And the shame and disgrace that I felt was overwhelming. But even in that shame and guilt, the very first person that I ever told, the very first person that I went to was my pastor. And I remember so vividly sitting in his office, sitting across from him, just sobbing 
am pouring out my heart to him about what had happened in the situation I was in. And I was bracing myself for him to stand up in outrage and just cast me out of his office because I was sure to him I was a disgrace. But when I was done speaking, he came around his desk and he pulled a chair up next to me and he sat down and he put his arms around my shoulders and he said, Laura, Jesus loves you. And so do I. And we will both walk with you through this. And his response had a profound impact on my life. And even though it was several years after that conversation before I came into a true relationship with the Lord, I have always remembered the grace and compassion he showed me that day. He was Jesus to me. And in a world of cancel culture and fingers that are quick to point out faults and failures, we have the incredible opportunity to be different, to love people well in spite of their failings in the midst of their stuff. We get to be Jesus to them to love them, to put our arms around them and say, Jesus loves you and so do I. And I will walk with you into restoration with him. Because when we allow our hearts to be transformed by Jesus, everything changes. How we act, what we say and do, how we love, how we forgive, it is all a different way to be human. Everything changes with Jesus. And as we read in Luke, everything changes for Elizabeth and Zechariah. Zechariah is alone in the temple and an angel appears to him and says, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. But how does Zechariah respond? Zechariah says to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I am an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. He responds with doubt and disbelief. I feel like he's saying, do you really expect me to believe this? How can I be sure this is really going to happen? I mean, I'm an old man. She is an old lady. How is this going to happen? This is impossible. I think I need some proof here, angel. He doubts what the angel is telling him. So the angel tells him, since he could not believe it, he will be silent until his son is born. Doubt can be something that steals our joy. And church, it's normal to have doubt. We see throughout scripture where people wrestled with doubt. But when we allow our doubt to permeate our hearts and minds so deeply that we question the power and sovereignty of who God is and what he's capable of, that is when our doubt will rob us of our joy. Zechariah stood in the presence of Gabriel, and with the angel's news, he should have been ecstatic with joy. Because we can see in Scripture that he had been praying for a child, because Gabriel says to him, God heard your prayer. But Zechariah had put limits on God. 
and what he could do. So we can find joy in remembering that God is the God of the impossible. And nothing is too difficult for him. So our solution for doubt is to keep our hearts focused on who God is. That God is steadfast. His promises are yes and amen. And God never fails. Now, nowhere in Scripture do we see that this angel went and told Elizabeth that she was going to have a baby. So she would have to have gotten this information from Zechariah. So in my mind, I'm picturing this very animated game of charades going on where Zechariah is trying to explain to his wife that she's about to have a baby. Now, probably really he just wrote it down. I just feel it's far more entertaining to picture him doing charades to her. And we see in verse 24, as the angel foretold, she becomes pregnant. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. Now, going into seclusion seems like maybe the opposite reaction of someone who has found out she's pregnant after giving up hope of ever having a child. We might think she wanted to announce it to everyone. And, of course, we don't know for certain, but I would speculate that perhaps she just wanted time to process what was happening and focus on the amazing gift that had been given to her from the Lord. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Seeing what I'm sure she thought was a dead dream come to life. Because you see, our God is a God who brings dead things to life. And we have to learn to have joy in spite of what things we feel are unrealized or not going as planned. In our life. Because during this life, we will have unmet expectations and unrealized dreams. And sometimes we abandon joy because of it. We think that this dream or goal or fill in the blank is never going to happen. So we lay the dream aside along with our joy. And the truth is, that thing may not, at least not as how we imagined it to be. But God's ways are not ours. And we have to place our trust that he is good, that he is for us, and that even when things are different from what we imagined, we can have joy that he is in control. But also, our God is the God of miracles. Those things that we believe God for can happen, but it might not be in the way or the timing that we expect. Church, we have to remember that joy is not found in our circumstances, but in our relationship with the Lord. Elizabeth kept her eyes focused on the Lord, even in the grief and pain of being barren. Even being considered a disgrace and lowly by her community, she continued to honor and follow the one who works beyond any worldly circumstance. The one who conquers death. The one who makes unrealized dreams happen. This doesn't mean she didn't experience sadness or grief. It just means she didn't live a life consumed by it. But a life focused on and surrounded by the love of God.
when we live our lives in a way that we are following Jesus in all our circumstances, then the challenging things that happen to us don't have nearly the significance as the joy that we find in him. Paul says this in Romans, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And I found this quote from Rick Warren that I thought was just so good. And it says, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in every situation. Now, as we get back into Luke, in verse 26, we see Mary. And it says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. So Elizabeth has been pregnant for six months now, and now Mary gets a visit from the angel. And Gabriel says, don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, can you imagine what Mary must have felt like in that moment? I mean, setting aside an angel coming, that's a big deal all by itself. But then this angel tells her, um, you're going to have a baby, and you're going to have a baby even though you're not married, and you've never had physical relations with a man yet. That would be a lot of information to take in. And after hearing all this, Mary now has a question for the angel, and she says, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. Now, at first glance, it might seem like Mary is questioning the angel the same way Zechariah did. Um, But there is a really big difference here. Zechariah's question came from a place of doubt of what the angel was saying. Like he doubted it was true. It couldn't be possible. He was doubting the ability of God. Mary is asking the mechanics of it. Like, how is this going to happen She's not married. She's never been with a man. So how exactly is she going to become pregnant? And this is why the angel gives her this reply. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will be, to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. And he tells her even more. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son. And now in her sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. And what's Mary's response to this? She responds in faith. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Now, Mary could have had a very different reaction to this news. She could have said, um, first of all, 
no one is going to believe that I just suddenly became pregnant. And do you know what will happen to me? There's this punishment you may have heard about. It's called stoning. Doesn't seem like a good time to me. And then how do I explain this to Joseph? He is going to dump me over this. You know what? This is too much. I can't do this. You have asked the wrong girl. But Mary said yes. Yes to the angel. Yes to carrying Jesus. Yes to the Lord. Yes to stepping out into the unknown and trusting the Lord's plan for her. There are times in life when God is going to ask us to step out in faith. We don't see the plan. We don't understand how the thing God wants us to do is going to happen. We don't see the ability even within ourselves to do it. But it's when we step out in faith, not relying on how we can make something happen or how our own abilities can bring something about, but having faith in our God to do more than we ask or imagine is where we can walk in authority and power in his plan for us. And that is another place that we can find joy. We find joy when we quit relying on our own abilities and walk in obedience and faith. Believing that God's word is true and walking out what he has called us to do in obedience to him. We can be assured that through his ability, we can accomplish what he has asked of us. And there is such freedom in that. If God called me to something, I can rejoice because he will make the way. Now, right after Mary had this encounter with the angel, it says in Luke that at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. So Mary didn't wait around. It says she hurried and headed down to see her cousin Elizabeth. And although scripture doesn't tell us exactly why, I think we can imagine that Mary wanted to see her older cousin, who had also had a miraculous encounter with the Lord. To have someone to confide in, Elizabeth would have been a safe place for Mary. God had provided an older relative who was pregnant with a miracle baby. And in Luke, it says they spent three months together, and I can only imagine the talks that they had. But what a wonderful provision of the Lord. God provided a haven for Mary and also for Elizabeth. They both had someone who could understand what the other was walking through. And I think of all the times in my life where I have walked through difficult things, but I have never walked it alone. God has always been there for me. He has brought people into my path always at just the right time. And that is something we can truly be joyful about, that our God is a God who provides. I think of what Paul says in Philippians, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God supplies all our needs, not some, not a few, but all. We can find joy by looking around at our lives, at all the things that the Lord has provided for us. And I'm not talking just material things, but the needs that we have in our hearts. He will provide. 
Now, an amazing thing happens when Mary arrives. It says, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Do you know that Elizabeth is the first person to call Jesus Lord? Before he was even born, Elizabeth knew through the Holy Spirit that Mary carried the Lord. And the word Lord being used there in the Greek is the word kyrios. And the definition is one who is sovereign and possesses absolute authority, absolute ownership, and uncontested power. Elizabeth recognized that the baby Mary carried was her Lord, her Messiah, the one who would have ownership and authority and power over all of her life. Even in Elizabeth's womb, the one who would grow up to be John the Baptist leaps for joy as the Holy Spirit comes upon his mother. Before any of Jesus' miracles or teaching, or for that matter, even seeing Jesus, Elizabeth responds to the question that Jesus will later ask his disciples, Who do you say that I am? She calls him Lord. And what joy that brought her. And Mary had heard the prophecy that this child would be great and holy and the son of the Most High. But now she hears it from Elizabeth who calls her child Lord. And Mary responds with joy in a song. And she said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant from now on all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me holy is his name the mighty one has done great things for me Isn't that so powerful that even in the middle of carrying this baby and all it entails, in the middle of an unknown future, she proclaims how God has done great things for her. And in her song, Mary praises God for his undeserved favor with particular attention to her humble state. Mary speaks on how God has been mindful of the humble estate of his servant, See, because in the eyes of her culture, Mary is an unlikely recipient of God's favor. She was not royalty. Her family was not wealthy or prosperous. After all, she comes from Nazareth. And can anything good come out of Nazareth? She does not move about in circles of high society. She is a nobody. No one of worldly importance or significance but God God has come to give unmerited favor to the lowly God has exalted those of humble estate Mary's words capture a theme that emerges over and over in Luke that God has come to show mercy and grace to the ones that the world would disregard God has come to bring redemption for all people 
God has come to bring light to the darkness. He has come to heal the brokenhearted, to bring dead things to life, and to set the captives free. God came down to bring his presence back to his people. And the kingdom of God is the upside down kingdom. In the world, to have power and influence is what is important. But in God's kingdom, he picks the nobodies, the regular people, broken people. And because God doesn't look at the outside but looks at the heart is how a complete nobody from a small despised town in the middle of nowhere becomes the most blessed of all women. A girl who loved the Lord and was willing to humble herself and obey his call on her life. So when we are able to set aside ourselves and become humble before the Lord and submit to his will for our life, it's where we can find joy in the abundant life that Christ offers for us. With this song of Mary is an invitation for all of us to join together in saying, God has done great things for me. I'd like to ask the worship team if they could come up. And as we close, I just want to reflect on this remarkable story of Mary and Elizabeth and the profound joy that they found in the Lord. Even when life as they knew it was turned upside down. Let us be reminded that the true source of joy is not found in our circumstances or in anything that the world has to offer, but in our relationship with Jesus. In the midst of both of these miraculous conceptions, joy flowed not from the absence of challenges, but from the presence of of God. It was the realization that God was at work in their lives, orchestrating a divine plan that surpassed their understanding, that gave these women joy. And in the same way, our joy is not contingent on a life free of difficulties, but on the unwavering presence of Jesus in the midst of our challenges. And as we navigate the hustle and bustle of the holiday season, let us anchor our joy in the truth that Jesus is the reason for our celebration. He is the source of unshakable joy that transcends the highs and the lows of life. And when we focus on the significance of Christ's birth, we discover a joy that surpasses all understanding, a joy that sustains us in every season. And we need to share this joy. We have so many opportunities during this season to share joy and Jesus' love with others. Love on a neighbor. Be kind to a grocery clerk or a retail clerk. Encourage a coworker. Or a student at school, every single day we have the opportunity to be the light of Jesus to the world. Let's leave here today with the purpose of sharing His good news of great joy.
Joy to the World, a song that was never meant to be a song at all, is a declaration of the arrival of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the most humble and unglamorous of places, an animal stable, the king above all kings arrived. And those who were with him that night found incredible joy in the presence of the Messiah. And church, we can find that same joy in his presence today. My prayer would be that this Christmas would be a season of deep, abiding joy for each one of us as we draw closer to the one who is the embodiment of joy itself. Let us not be swayed by the pressures of this world or the temporary pleasures that it offers. Take the time this season to be still before the Lord. Find joy sitting at his feet. Let us have our hearts resonate with the joy that comes from a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, our Savior. We can sing joy to the world about the birth of our Savior, Jesus, who humbled himself and came down to bring his love and grace and forgiveness to you and to me. And we can sing praises of the joy of the future where Jesus will come again, where evil will be forever defeated. His kingdom will be restored and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. Would you please stand and join us in worship? <laughs> 